I'm Verite, and you're listening to Anatomy of an Artist, a podcast about people, the art they create, and the business behind their art. Hello, and welcome back to Anatomy of an Artist. Today's guest is Pell, the project of Jared Pellerin, a rapper, songwriter, and producer from New Orleans who currently lives in Los Angeles. Pell is a newly independent artist, so I wanted to talk to him about the transition from being signed to building DIY. We talked about going to therapy and how he's trying to view quarantine as solitude and not isolation. He also gave us a glimpse into his new project, Global Warming, and he told us what he's doing to give back to his community in New Orleans. Pell is a prolific writer and just a force to be reckoned with. Let's dive into our conversation. I'm good. I can't complain. Uh, at the studio right now. I uh, had some good-ass coffee. Amazing. Where is the studio? New Orleans or Los Angeles? Los Angeles. So it's it's in Frogtown. I don't know. You know where that is? So yeah. <laughs> it's essentially like right northeast, I guess, the Echo Park. And it's right next to the L.A. River. Like there's a well-known bike trail that's right there. Oh, I know exactly where that is, actually. Yeah, it's fire. It's fire. How long have you been there? Uh, I've been here um, three months, three months. Um, it doesn't even feel like that because I've been still traveling back and forth between here and home. But um, I, I love it. I wake up some mornings. I wouldn't say all mornings. That's that's cap. I wake up like probably twice a week, three times a week and come here and ride my bike on the you know, little path and then come back, you know, start cooking up early mornings, you know. Where is home for you now? Home for me now is New Orleans. I mean, no, I'm sorry. It's L.A. I'm, I'm tripping. It's an early morning. <laughs> and uh, it's it's great. I love it out here. Um, I've always been back and forth, but I feel like I've now having this studio, I definitely have planted roots in a different way, too. Um, mm-hmm. But, I, I mean, I've been here for a while, so it feels great. I feel like from your answer, it seems like you definitely have roots planted in both places. That is true. That's so true. <laughs> I feel like I'm trying to always find balance between... Um, you know, connecting with the people in New Orleans that, you know, are a part of my career just as much as those who are out here. And I have friends in both areas and I feel like I have things that tie me down in both areas. And it's it's just, you know, I love it. I love it out in both. So what does your morning routine look like now that we're essentially going back into full lockdown mode? So it's obviously mm. coffee. I'm assuming we have the same affinity for caffeine. Definitely. You already know that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, well, I wake up, I try to meditate when I get up. Uh, I use Headspace, the app. Mm. Um, and I'll try to get a quick little 10 minute, you know, uh, guided meditation. And sometimes it's, it's it's wonky depending on the voice that's on there. But uh, I like to clear my mind. Um, I'll take a shower. Sometimes I don't. Um, Respect. <laughs> you know, especially if I have a session that's really good the night before, I like to leave that energy on me for a quick second, then I'll take a shower midday. But like, you know what I mean? I like to get through the morning feeling the same as I did the night before. Um, <laughs> sounds messy. I would I would say that. And then after that, I, I'll go for a walk. I'll walk my dog, Boosie, and then uh, come here to the studio. So, And coffee is somewhere in between that. I've never heard of the concept of like, but it makes so much sense that you want to leave the energy on you from the night before. And if the energy was shit the night before, then you wash it off and you start. <laughs> exactly. It's a little trickier with COVID now. I think uh, showers are uh, mandatory, uh, reg- like regular showers. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, because of having a studio, I've noticed like the different energies that can come in the room and kind of stay in there. Um, when I have different sessions in here, you'll notice that sometimes this room, the control room that I'm sitting in right now, um, there's a different energy um, than in those times that I notice the energy feeling different. Sometimes I'll come here, you know, light one up or, you know, burn some sage and kind of like rub it off in a way, like kind of like balance it. And I feel like there's times to do that 
with yourself as well. Sometimes you have to cleanse the the day off, you know, and uh, it's a metaphorical shower, I guess. Yeah, I think that I underestimate how much energy comes into play in in creation and in writing and even just like my day-to-day mood. And recently, I think we've all been afforded this gift of time and pause in a way. I've been trying to focus in more and recognize when I'm thrown a little bit off balance. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. I, I, I feel like quarantine at first, I looked at it as isolation and now I look at it as solitude. Um, shout out to uh, this very great therapist named Soko Ray. Um, mm-hmm. She, I had a, a lovely talk with her. I, I released this record during quarantine at literally the worst time to release. Unfortunately, what was going on in the world at the time of my birthday, May 29th, what had happened on May 27th, that changed the course of what was going on in America, uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor right before, I think there was uh, a a groundswell of animosity towards putting anything out, in my opinion. I didn't want to listen to music. I didn't want to create anything. And I felt like during that time period, I had I had wanted to go into therapy several times, I felt like, um, but never really made the commitment. So instead of actually doing it, uh, I wound up having it as a part of the rollout for this song called Inhale that I released that week in a way that I felt like a lot of people needed to decompress, um, had her on an Instagram live. And she mentioned to me that you shouldn't look at quarantine as isolation. You should look at it as solitude and something that you can get in touch with yourself. I, I took that to heart and it's, it's taught me a lot about like how to read energy and how to let go of certain situations that might not be beneficial for your energy. I feel like there was a groundswell and then the dam broke. Yep. Right. And, and it's been flooding for years and years and years, but that was a tipping point. And I understand what you're saying about there, there was this animosity towards releasing things. And there was this idea that you have to hit pause, but you and I also both know as artists, mm-hmm. these things are pre-planned for months and months. And so sometimes you can't hit a stop button. Right. on say a release and so I love the idea that you are already committed to this release date but we're going to figure out how do we give back and how do we make this a part of a community and a conversation versus making it all about you as the artist really like dropping your album it's about more than you it's about more than us and art is about more than us true very true I I, I tell people that all the time especially as you know, artists, we're selfish and we do have these things that are built up and, you know, we are running a business and it's hard for a lot of us, especially, you, you know, independence to, and I was newly, I'm newly independent too, again. So everything. Counts. <laughs> Thank you. It feels, um, it feels like even more of a pressure to, to keep things going and keep things rolling, but everybody has their threshold. And I think that my threshold was hit in, in that, particular instant and I realized that you know going back to the idea of artists being selfish there's things that are bigger than us and some of those are the best things that come from working in music you know what I mean the the person that you touch that you saved their life or you uh, improved it for the better even I, I think that you know that comes first oftentimes than a rollout or trying to make sure that my bottom line is taken care of and I think that like this whole quarantine has brought us together because of that. And this year has brought us together because of the fact that we can see each other as equals and also see each other as influenced by one another's thoughts and opinions in ways that like, you know, me just rele- releasing the song and continuing to promote that instead of promoting, um, you know, uh, criminal justice reform and the, you know, defunding of the police, I think, it all is a part of the same conversation, whether you want it to be or not. And I think you can't run from these conversations even when you're releasing music. So this was a good year for me in realizing that, like completely, completely. Yeah, it changes your mission statement in a way. Right? Yeah. And, and I totally understand this idea of artists being selfish, but also it's the ego, right? It's We're attached <laughs> to what we do. And again, it's like, for especially independent artists, you need that laser focus on 
you, yourself, your business, what you're building. Otherwise, you're not going to be successful in that way. But it's also opening yourself up to this other side of, well, I'm building a community. And what is my responsibility to the community I'm building? And how can I be of service to that community? Mm. And and so preach. it's a very precarious balance. When you were younger, what did you view success as? Oof. Well, I had a bunch of different models to look at. I mean, born and raised in New Orleans, obviously, during the cash money, love Master P, love everybody, love Mystical, love every Snoop Dogg, all of them. But I guess because of my family, I was listening to more cash money. So definitely platinum, gold, uh, diamonds were definitely a sign of success for me early mm-hmm. on when I first started wanting to pursue uh, music. Um, I think touring and like, you know, selling out shows. I thought that that these were the signs of success. And I guess you could say a big car, big house, just being rich at first. You know, it's the allure of the, you know, uh, of the game in a way. And I think that's that's what I viewed success as at a at a young at a young age. And then when I started getting my feet planted in, in the game, I, I realized how many different levels there were. And I don't think that the game runs off smoke and mirrors and it also runs off desperation. Cause even on the on the level of my music, you know, I think reach is the ultimate goal. You know what I mean? Making sure that as many people as possible that can listen to my music have heard my music or will hear my music. You know, that's that's obviously like goal number one. Um for the musician in me. When did you start writing and producing music? It's an interesting question. The timeline is always shaky for me because I I was working on production and trying to make beats before I even realized it. Um, But I think seventh grade, maybe I like, I had, my dad had bought me a Korg beat machine, which is like, it had 12 pads and like a bank and a mode button. And like you hook it up via MIDI. I didn't even know what that was. I just had, I would hook up headphones or speakers into it and then like create loops that I didn't know how to make songs off of. Didn't, didn't know how to use Google or YouTube <laughs> at the time. So I was, I was playing around with that and um, Hurricane Katrina struck. I was forced to evacuate and relocate to Jackson, Mississippi with my mom and my brother. And a bunch of other family members at the time. Uh, we were all in my grandmother's house. And during that time, uh, we had a lot of free time because also Mississippi was hit by the storm as well. So we had like a few weeks off from school, I feel like. Um, <laughs> I don't know the exact amount of days, but it felt like an eternity. Mm-hmm. And I was playing beats with my cousin. My cousin wrote poetry and rapped, and he's a crazy artist. And I remember I, I told him, like, we should start a group. Um, and we called ourselves monkeys in spacesuits, uh, <laughs> M-I-S-S, you know what I mean? It's like monkeys because we're like, we're, we're crazy or whatever. We're wild. And plus we love the gorillas. And then... Uh, I love that. <laughs> it, and I feel like monkeys in spacesuits was just talking about how like we felt like we were far from home in a way. But that's my first like real introduction to trying to make music not professionally, but at least seriously. I feel like it was a hobby, but we definitely played it for our friends, tried to do shows like low key at parties and like would record at our friends' houses. Didn't know what we were doing at all, but we were just trying to make it work. My affinity and my like desire to make better shit just stemmed from the relationships that I would have in college and uh, eventually here in LA, so. What was the transition from amateur songwriting production into taking it more seriously? And what was your first introduction to the music industry proper? Uh, I'd have to say my first introduction to the music industry in my mind was when this A&R from uh, the label 300 had reached out to me and my manager at the time and had told us that he wanted to fly me out to LA to work. It was perfect timing. I don't, I don't know what happened, but uh, I was, I was doing shows at the time on more of a local scale. My OG always told me you got to be doing shows in a 500 mile radius 
from from around you just so that you can get fans and stuff like that. So we, my producer, my manager, and I embarked on a road trip and basically played, you know, shitty clubs, shitty bars, stuff like that, college towns. Came back to to Mississippi and I was invited out and I took that trip. Didn't know if I wanted to sign anything, but I was able to make so much good music and it was so quick and so fast. I realized how people, how fast people work in LA and how fast the industry works. And um, I turned down the deal, but I wound up making an album out of it. And to this day, that album has been so successful that it still pays bills. Was that your first record? Yep. Floating While Dreaming. Floating While Dreaming. So you wrote that on a trip paid for by a label? Most of it, yeah. Like, Sick. pretty sure like eight of the songs. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. And I met like the crazy. Well, you know that everybody has that time where, like you were just saying, you meet somebody who's like super good at their craft and it opens up a world full of possibilities for even what you thought could have been done. And that was the case when I came to L.A. for the first time. I was writing every day. Like, I don't think before that time, before somebody actually flew me out to do something, I don't think mentally I thought of myself as working every day to to sharpen my skills. Like, I, I already do that. It was a little bit more nonchalant before. And I think since I saw somebody take me serious in a different way, I took it serious when I came out here. And that was, like, my first bout with the industry of, like, seeing how... Um, even sessions work and um, how labels work from a distanced song and dance type of perspective. But it was cool. I mean, and that that helped mold a lot of my ideas of like why it's important to be independent, why it's important to work every day. <laughs> yeah. There is such a transition from the local hustle to what feels like this different world of the music industry which you know again going back to what our initial ideas of success were mm -hmm. right we kind of glorified on this pedestal of this is what that means and then you have an introduction to it and you realize oh no this is just more hustle <laughs> facts it it doesn't it doesn't stop it, do, it 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 never stops and it's and i love that about it because it's all about the process and the journey but when you when you're sitting in those rooms here you're kind of in awe, but it just lets you know how much harder you have to work. And like, I think sometimes it takes people trying to show you what your worth is for you to actually know what your worth is. And I feel like that's what I loved about these run-ins with the industry in my first year of being a professional artist. Did you find that you felt on the outside of the club in a way? Hell yeah. I mean... <laughs> I, I've never felt fully comfortable with the idea of people who don't understand a particular kind of music trying to tell, you know, artists more about their craft than the ones who are making the art. And I think that oftentimes that can make you feel like an outsider. Like when you're going into these meetings and you're having discussions about your, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, you realize how different you are than a lot of people and how they view not only what you do and how they view music as a whole to be on that side of the business, that it kind of makes me feel like an outsider from the jump. I, don't, I understand that we're two different sides of a coin, you know? Well, it goes back to your comment on smoke and mirrors. You and I have really, actually, eerily similar paths, right? It's like yeah. local hustle to an introduction to the music industry and this like independent build of a foundation of a career. And I think really quickly, I realized that nobody cares as much about me and my music as I do. Truth. And it becomes really hard to sell your autonomy to somebody when they tell you they don't care. <laughs> and maybe they're not telling you with their words because usually their words are, you can be the next blank. Yeah. I think they're selling you a dream. Right. Right. And then if you buy into that dream, now you're you're caught. That's true. You have to understand yourself before you have certain conversations within the industry and certain meetings. You know what I mean? There's something that my brother told me the other day, like he never has a meeting before he's sure that he's ready. And that's mm -hmm. that's that's meant to say that he never puts himself in a situation that he know in, in which he 
can't deliver or he'll be upset by what is presented to him. And I think that uh, oftentimes, you know, the, the, the allure of the game is like things happening fast and rise to stardom and that dream that you're talking about. But I feel like that's where oftentimes you as an artist can get, you know, trapped in this cycle of validation through the label, through whoever is paying you, through, you know, whoever is feeding into that dream for you instead of you determining what success looks like for you and then having meetings based on that. I think I was lucky because by the time I was taking label and publisher meetings, I had signed a really bad contract when I was 18. Mm. With like a sham label. I don't like I don't even really believe it was a label. <laughs> right. It was some I don't know, I got duped. <laughs> but it left such a distaste in my mouth for signing any contracts. So I went into all of my meetings so skeptical and so firm with what I wanted because I was so terrified of being stopped. And I was so terrified of my progress being halted. And so I love yeah. the idea that, yeah, you shouldn't take a meeting before you're ready. You shouldn't take a meeting before you're unwavering in your confidence of who you are and what you want. Right. Preach. I Yeah, that's that's really it. Because everybody, you know, everybody wants the idea of success, but you do have to determine what it is for you. Know your own end game in a way. You You probably can't see 10 to 15 years in the future, but... You you have to at least see far enough to understand what's good for you now. So I want to, like, get off the industry for a second. You are, like, incredibly prolific. Whoa, thank you. You have released so many songs since you started in 2014. Yep. What does your creative process look like? Are you Are you... Primarily writing over beats that you're creating. Are you constantly writing in your head? Like, how does that look? Yeah, it's uh, so it's a balance of both. Um, I love in the same way that an artist always paints on or like most artists paint on blank canvases. I think that I always love to start with a blank canvas. So, uh, there is no true template for how I record or how I make music, how I write, you know, lyrics. It, it's all situational and all inspirational. I think um, the the times in which I try to synthesize it, I do myself a disservice because it doesn't come out as genuine or it doesn't come out as uh, unique as I think my music is. Mm -hmm. And... I'm not saying that to say that like, oh, every time I try, I, I do something different. There are like themes to like certain things that I like. Like I love rhythms and grooves. I love drums. So that's something that heavy, like heavily impacts whether or not I like a song. Usually if I can't dance to it or if I can't, you know, dance around in my head with lyrics to it, mm -hmm. it's probably not for me, you know, um, <laughs> most of the time. And I know that about myself. But other than that, there's, I work that way on a lot of records too. Like if, if I love the drums, then what I'll try to do is, you know, I'll make a melody. I think I'll do a freestyle over it, whether that's, you know, a melody, then lyrics, or sometimes it'll be a rhythm, then melody, then lyrics. Um, but I work that way and lyrics always come last. I feel like because they're the most important and you don't want to rush uh, out the thoughts that are in your head, you you know, you got you got cutting lyrics, you got you got those lyrics that cut. Well, Thank I'll, you. I'll be like, ugh, you know, I'm trying to do a little bit of harm. <laughs> it's working. Well, I've been in the studio with you, and I feel like you and I. The reason why we've worked so well together is because we have that similar process. It's like you go in, you get the vibe, you get the groove, and then you kind of get a rough melody or just a rhythm of how the vocals are going to sit. And then the lyrics just come, right? And they come right. phonetically maybe first. Sometimes maybe there's an idea behind it, but at least for me, I'm like mumbling and sounding out words. And then you yeah. get one word that sounds and feels good and you're basing this whole song off of, you know, one moment. Yeah, I love it when that happens. That's <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. I actually have an old demo from us 
that uh I don't know if you remember it. Uh it was like if I lose my mind on you, have you, do you remember that? No, if but you should I send it to me and we should finish mind it. On you. I, I I ain't gonna spoil it. But that it is crazy. And I remember that because that was one of those sessions where um I think drums were first and um it was kind of like a marching tempo. Um but yeah, I think phonetically there always is that one word that catches everybody and they're like, Oh wait, you said that right there? What wait, 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 what was that? Like let's go back. Let's expand, expound upon that. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I love you're it when you're constantly that trying to capture the tiniest moment of brilliance and then you're trying not to fuck it up. Oof. Very true. Really quick though, I would really like to finish if I lose my mind on you. Like whatever that idea is. Yeah. Please send it to me. Please let's let's <laughs> I work will. it out. I will. It's actually crazy. Um, no, it's it's for real crazy. I'm gonna send that to you. I think another way of going about it in when I'm when I make rap records, I feel like because uh, there's a difference. Sometimes I love to just make songs, and then there's sometimes I I have something on my spirit, and I want to just bar people up, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in those moments, I'll you know get on a beat or i'll like to have somebody like play beats like kind of like on some five fingers of death uh sway in the morning type of thing where it's like one beat next beat another beat and so on like you know five times in a row like just lined up on ableton or lined up on logic and i'll just like freestyle for like 20 minutes and something thematically will stick where it's like oh this is what i want to talk about today really quick is that five different beats Five different beats, yeah. What a brilliant idea. Yeah, you know where I... Okay, so I don't know I don't know if this is giving away a secret because I learned that, actually. I was blessed enough to go in 2015 to a... Rick Rubin had a camp for... I don't know what album he was working on, but um, me and some other people from my same publishing uh, were invited to this, and I remember being in a session with one of the engineers and he was like, yeah, because when Ye came in here uh, talking about Kanye, he was like, he did, you know, track after track after track. And I was like, well, line up five of them then. So like we lined up like a bunch of, I don't think it was five. It may have been like, well, it was a lot. It might have been five, like at least more than three. Um, And four to split the difference. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, like he... He played all of those and it was fun. Like, and I do that probably like once a month uh, now, just like as a little exercise, like just to see what I want to talk about because it'll, it'll show up. Yeah, because there's nothing worse than trying to come up with ideas over a stale beat or like a stale chord progression where you realize, oh, I don't have an idea for this, and then harping on it and harping on it. I, I much prefer to just move on. If if the initial spark isn't there the first three times I listen to something, let's move on to something else and Oof. see if it's there, and let's see if it's there. And then let's come back to that first idea 20 minutes later, and maybe something's there, but there's nothing worse than forcing a square <laughs> peg into a round hole. Oof, preach. That's how I feel. That's That's exactly how I feel. I, I've had moments where I've been in sessions because the session was set up to create a song off something. Uh, you know, I've I've also, like, written for things and written for people. And in those sessions, sometimes my my writer hat, you know, carries with me into the next session where it's like, okay, so we have to get this song done instead of let's just create. And mm-hmm. that's when that happens, when you spend way too much on an idea because you, there's a pressure. Maybe you're working with somebody and you don't know when, when y'all are going to get in again and you want to make sure that the idea that y'all have at least is is at a point or is is done and complete so that, you know, uh, you can capture the moment that you're with them. But whenever that moment leaves in terms of inspiration, even if y'all are in the same room, so you, you got to pull a plug sometimes and just or switch switch gears or, you know, switch inputs and like go to the next and I think that is I'm so glad you said that because that's something that took me a long time to realize I would definitely try to and there's nothing wrong with finishing ideas but the what's worse is finishing an idea and spending a lot of time on it and not liking it and knowing that it's not going anywhere you know yeah I know an idea isn't going anywhere within the first 
10 minutes. And I think mm. what I'm trying to do is, especially as I collaborate with other people who maybe I haven't worked with as much as you or someone I'm not as familiar with, I'm trying to get that confidence to be like, hey, we need to cycle through this idea. This one isn't working. Because it's a balance. Right. You don't want to hurt people's feelings. You don't want to be like, this sucks. <laughs> but also, I hate finishing songs that feel like nothing. Oof. And they're uninspired. And then you're tired. And then you don't want to create because that's the memory and the energy associated with creation and collaboration. Yeah, that's on a session like that, that's when I go home immediately take a shower. Like immediately, like I'm, I'm, you know, I've completely wash, wash my sins away. I don't know. Like there's, there's those sessions and then there's, there's those where I've, cause I've had the other side of that where there was a session. I didn't know that the song was gold until I listened to it in the morning and was like, oh, I'm tripping. Like this actually feels different. And that's, that's very rare though. That's very rare that that happens. But there are those times, you know, I think where if you put in enough of uh, like if you have good intentions on the song, like first and foremost, and you're trying to just get it done because there was maybe one thing that you liked about it or one thing that you were focused on. And then you maybe lost it in the course of creating that song. You can come back and revisit it and, and sometimes have a different perspective on it that allows you to be like, whoa, this hits me now. You know what I mean? Or like now I get what I was doing there. Um, cause I've had some songs like that. Like my last project, actually, some of those songs are three years old or four years old. Yeah. And at the time that I created them, I was like, okay, this song is dope. I just, I can't put it out right now. Or I pushed it off because I was like, it doesn't feel like right now. It doesn't, f something was wrong with the feeling. And then it hit, you know, in 2019. And I was like, oh my God, that's why I made this song. It feels greater. It feels like it needs to be released. I'm not trying to knock what, what we were talking about earlier because that's that's true. Like in terms of when you're creating, you it, you feel it in the first 20. You have that that like that moment of inspiration where it's like, okay, is this going somewhere? Uh, it's trailing off. Let's make something new. And that's the rule. And of course, there are always exceptions. But how important is it for you as an artist to build a world? So obviously we create songs and songs are moments but what about the world that those songs live in yeah i think you have to create those worlds for the songs to live in in order for you to that's a part of like defining your success too i feel like in a way they run hand in hand like i feel like your ideas are are the most important as a creative like seeing what you've experienced and being able to create a world around it so that, you know, others can see it through the same lens is a trait of a really successful artist, in my opinion. Like, all the great artists create worlds for us to consume their music in, you know, whether it's, like, pop or a really far underground artist. I think even some... And some artists that are pop that, that do it so well, I think, like, show us that it can be done. Like, I think even Drake is a good example just because, like, I'll listen to songs about him that are, like, interpersonal things going on in his life, and it's it's crazy because I'm hearing that as if it's, like, one of my friends. You know what I mean? And I'm hearing it. There's a type of connection there. Cuddy. There's a lot of artists that are like that, that are now getting traction from that connectivity, and that's because they allow themselves to tell their story through and, and throughout in a way that it created a world around anything that they create because you know who they are on the inside and you know, or you know the world that they've created and you're able to hear the music with that lens over it. You know what I mean? Even Frank, I feel like when I listen to Frank, um, I just see you, you almost, it's almost esoteric in a way. Like you, you have to kind of have a little bit of an investment um, sometimes. And uh, I think that those are the really successful artists are the ones who can do that for real. I like that you said it's an investment, right? Because right now we're living through essentially the transition. I mean, we fully transitioned out uh, from albums to a song culture, mm -hmm. right? And so you kind of see these songs come in and you can have a really successful song with no foundation and no longevity as an artist. 
but it's the artists that really build this solid foundation where the songs live in this greater world where people feel the need to invest their time in the whole project. So not only the songs, but you as an artist and what you're wearing and what you're saying and how you're giving back to them, this whole community Mm. uh, perspective versus like, yo, here's my song, this shit's hot. Yeah, no, I mean, (laughs) that's how you should drop your next single, by the way. Yo, here's here's my song. This shit hot. That's it. And just no no promo, no nothing. No, we don't need no context. Um, I think with social media and like how transparent a lot of stuff is, going back to the smoke and mirrors, going back to like that layer of uh, privacy between the artist, their art, and the people that consume it. I think uh, a lot of those layers have been crumbled down and like thinned out completely for a lot of artists in a way that now the worlds that we live in or our daily lives are fully consumable. So it's kind of, I kind of feel like you can't, you can't just release something without context because people are so, you're so accessible. You know what I mean? There's always going to be some type of context and a world that people will place it in. Um, just by you being a presence online or being a presence uh, really online, I feel like is the main one, but like the way that we consume music now, like we consume music as like, okay, this is dope, but where's the video? Where's like, we, we saw you post your pictures, like are these pictures for like, for a cover? Is this for, you know, like the fans are just smarter and I, and I love it. Like the f- fans are way more engaged because they have access to you. And in turn, it creates that world between you and your fans. And I think uh, I've seen you do that a lot. I have a tendency sometimes to run from my fans every once in a while. I feel like, you know, I, I love to do what I know they'll enjoy and, you know, give as much of myself as I can. But sometimes, you know, I got to save a little bit for me. And yeah, that's something I, I actually am like trying to get better with overall, just the idea of creating the world that I want my music to live in, but also being okay to share that world on a regular basis and not, you know, leave it up at face value for interpretation and and walk away from it in a way, if that makes sense. There's a balance that we need to strike as creatives and people who are independent artists. So not only are we the writers, we are also the CEOs of our business, essentially. Mm. And we are also social media managers. Mm. And we are so so essentially we're putting on all of these hats and at some point there needs to be a balance. And so you saying sometimes I run from my fans. I need to retreat. I it's funny, right now I'm in a similar place where like, fuck, yeah. I'm tired. Like I am tired and this idea of having to put on some front on social media feels tiring, but also going on social media and giving some backdoor voyeuristic look into me sitting on the couch, kind of staring at a wall being like, wow, I'm burnt (laughs) out also doesn't feel right. And so finding some sort of balance between those two. Yeah, but I feel like you've created a world where that is, like in terms of with your fans, that that is a certain type of content that they can also look forward to. So even when you have those days where you don't want to post, posting also makes sense, you know? I feel like, and that's that's the beauty in what you do. And I think I also, I have these urges to do similar things in terms of, you know, there's times where I feel like I'm having a a bad day or I'm having some type of anxiety and I want to share it with my fans. But it's like I try to find any other way that I can have an outlet than directly giving it to my fans this way because I know that they best consume it when it's in my music. And like like that's the one thing that like creates a barrier for me doing that as consistent as I I feel like I should. It's really knowing your you know your fans too. Like like my biggest 
if it was a social media platform, I guess, is like Spotify, like is like where people yeah. share music, like wherever people are sharing music, that's usually where my biggest following is in, in terms of listening to music, actually. But because of that, I feel like those instances where, you know, I want to share on social media, I always, you know, I always like, okay, let me try to write a song or let me try to go on a walk today, just write a poem or write, you know, how I'm doing today. Um, do you free write? Like, do you write pages, morning pages and stuff like that? I'm trying to, it's, it's one of those things where I feel like when I write like pen to paper, it, it always feels really corny to me. Um, not the really? act of, but the result. <laughs> and I feel like I do my best writing in a moment where I, where the words that I'm saying are tied to melody. Because mm. it's melody feels like it is my my forte, right? Like being creative <laughs> with melody and and I think I have a very distinct melodic voice in that way. And then the words stream of consciousness just pour out of me, but it's always phonetically linked to that melody. And that's mm. what always feels most inspiring to me. Because when I look back on those pages, which I have done sometimes, I just yeah. I usually cringe. I'm like, shh, quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Too much going on up there. I feel it. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I totally understand. It's good to condense it. I don't know. I, I, I've I, tried writing morning pages and I'm inconsistent with it. There's sometimes that I think it'll help and I'll like, you know, write out as many ideas as I have as soon as uh, I wake up. Um, but... Like you said, it's just, it, it winds up being so all over the place that I'm just like, I didn't get anything out of this. Like, you know what I mean? And and, and a, not to knock people that do it, because I think for some people it helps them stimulate those ideas that may have been in the back of their mind that they didn't know they could reach. But as far as like, because we write songs, I think there's often times where less is more, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I wrote a Christmas song. Uh, it'll be released Ooh. by the time this podcast is out. Yes. But I wrote it on a run. Like I was running and I was thinking on my run about doing a Christmas cover because I'm like, that's a smart business move, <laughs> right? And yeah. I was like, I could call it Blue Christmas. And I, as I was running, I was just like, oh, Blue Christmas is a, a song already. It's an Elvis <laughs> song. Yeah. And I was like, but what about a Black Christmas? Ooh. And so I wrote a song called Blackout Christmas about getting Ooh. drunk on Christmas. But it's this funny thing of I wrote the whole song in its entirety on this run. And then when I got to the water, which is usually my destination, I got the voice memo and I got the thing and I wrote out all the lyrics. Oh, that's fire. I like and that. And I'm like, moments like that are why I create. Mm. It's like no th thought went into it. It was essentially just an idea that then was fully written. That's fire. That's so fire. I I, I love that. I I need to run more. Um, you do. <laughs> I feel like this is slowly but surely becoming a running motivation podcast. I swear <laughs> if you start running, it'll change your life. Just three miles a day. It's the oxidation, right? That's what they say. It's the oxidation in your brain. Um, you know what I mean? You got to get that, that blood pumping. You know... Speaking of like where you write your best material, do you feel like it's when you're when you're outside of the studio or in the studio? Outside of the studio, I think that for me, and this is really dependent on who I'm working with. Yeah. I think that writing in the studio breeds really contrived ideas for me. Oh. Right? It does. And I, and I try to Truth. go in with an open mind, but I just have a graveyard of Truth. average songs written in studio <laughs> with people. And it takes a really particular energy and vibe for me to put down the barrier. And when the barrier is down, I feel like I write my best music and it feels like me. And again, yeah. it's one of those things we were talking about. You know when it's yours. You know when the idea is a diamond. Right. Um, I feel like so much of writing is getting rid of 
my thoughts, my mind, my ego to let that come out. And I think mm. in a studio setting, it can be really hard. Mm. Very true. Very true. Cause there's like, you know, there's these four walls that, and depending on who you're in there with, if, if you're, even if you're in there by yourself, that, you know, creates a, a slight pressure to, you know, churn out that song instead of write how you feel over writing, you know, what may be you that moment. Like you already have a vibe when you're walking into a room. Like I was talking about when people come to the studio and like there's an energy in the room. It's yeah. It, it sucks when that happens, but like it happens a lot. Like when you're in the studio because you're working together on something or you're in a space that feels like something already. You're a master architect of vibe and energy though. And I do have to say that is that you're this motivating creative force. I think at least in the time I've spent with you in the studio where far it's too like, kind. I don't know. There are ideas and there's not a fear to pivot ideas and there's not a fear. I, I feel like one day we wrote like five on five different beats and five different ideas going back to that idea. And uh, yeah. that energy is what I crave. And I think I find collaboration to be difficult because it's just hard to line up those energies. But when you do, it's magic. Yeah, I love playing Russian roulette with that because, like, m music is meant to be communal at the end of the day. And uh, that is even the reason why I have a space now. COVID, you know, and, like, the health reasons of, you know, everybody retreating from studios into their home setup or, you know, being fully functional by themselves or DIY, whatever you want to call it, um, I think... That, that has been great for everybody improving, but I think there's something still about the connectivity of one's music that I love about having bigger sessions or about having, you know, that that random, let's see how this group of people can come together to make something that, you know, beautiful and represents whatever moment happened. And I think uh, that's why I got this space. And that's like, I've I've noticed... In the time that I've been here, I've probably made 20 songs, 30 songs probably. But um, I think in all of those songs, there's a sense of that listening and, and that listening to other people that allows me to go outside of myself in a way and, and kind of... Uh, and kind of be a little bit bigger than myself in, in a good way. Like we're talking about letting go of ego and being like a little bit more in tune with what's going on. And I, I feel like, especially in rap, there's those times where it can get super, once again, like esoteric, where like you're talking about the industry or you're talking about this is how me and like, this is like my little thing that's going on. And um, it's, but it means the world to me. And when you have a bunch of people in the in in a session that you're you're sharing an energy with, you're, you know, subconsciously listening to or feeling what everybody else is feeling because you're reacting to their body language. You're re that's one thing I'm huge on body language. If if there's something going on or if somebody said a word and nobody reacts or if somebody said a line that I know that they thought was the the line or um, mm -hmm. you know, played the chords that felt like they were going to strike everybody in the chest um, and it didn't happen, that's when we know to pivot. Even in the studio with you, that's when you, I knew, like, okay, let's, like, after a certain point, like, we keep moving around. But it's good to have that balance, that back and forth with somebody and that, that type of um, communication because you, you can't do that in a setting by yourself. Like, you won't have somebody in real time be able to be like, uh... That line was whack. Like you could, what if you did it like this? Or they don't even have to say that line is whack. It's just like, maybe what had, have you thought of this? Did you think about putting a fill on the drums right here? You know what I mean? That oftentimes, even though I'm fully capable of top to bottom producing and recording and making my own uh, record, it's like you get, you get the fullness of uh, what it is to, to create a record when you're around uh, a lot of talented minds. And I, I love this space for that. And I'm glad you said that about the, uh, about me and uh, collaborating. I think that that's like my 
one of my biggest skills. I think I learned that at an early stage in my career that I work best when I work with great people. And uh, I often, I often will try harder to work with people that I think may have a, a skill that I lack than trying to figure it out by myself. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't go in and do everything yourself. You should learn your craft. You should learn your business. You should definitely learn. When you are working with others, I think uh, you'll realize a lot more about yourself and your workflow that than the next time you are alone or the next time you do create or the next time you are on a run or you're doing something, you take from these little pieces or you, you get all these different energies and, and they help formulate new ideas and new um, new songs and new creations in a, in a great way. Like, I think um, that's why collaboration is like a huge thing when it comes to making albums for me. Yeah, you need to be pushed. And, and I think as artists and writers, we have comfort zones, we have places we feel very safe. And so from my perspective, I want to make the thing that's safe and I want to send it to someone and I want to have them flip it on its head and I want them <laughs> to completely recontextualize it. Um, but going back to what you were saying about community, mm-hmm. I want to talk about global warming and this collective out of New Orleans because it seems very like integral to your whole ethos of like yes. collaboration and community and your, I guess, first and second home of New Orleans. And so tell me about that collective. Um, so Global Warming is a collective of about 30 artists. That's um, rappers, singers, poets, uh, as well as uh, producers, graphic artists, and photographers. Um, right now, and the number keeps growing. But it's it's basically a collective of artists that wanted to challenge the idea of uh, what New Orleans rap music and New Orleans R&B music sound like. Um, you know, we're known for Bounce. We're known for, I mentioned earlier, No Limit, Cash Money. Uh, shout out to Jet Life as well. We're known for, um, you know, Platinum and Gold, Booty Shaking, twerking you know and i feel like there's another side of younger uh creatives that are post katrina and post where i feel like um a lot of that era dropped off that are making music that is inspirational and very like deeply emotional and i'm not saying that we didn't have that before but it is the essence of what we're creating and I had this idea for the past two and a half years to make this project called Global Warming is Real, uh, based off of obviously the fact that uh, the coastal line is eroding and New Orleans will be like one of the first cities to go when, you know, things start to hit the fan and hurricanes become worse, et cetera, et cetera. I think that there's obviously that scientific connection with global warming in New Orleans, but there's also a metaphorical connection between um, us heating up the city and there is something happening in the city where we're heating up and it's it's our time. I feel like there's a renaissance in the city of people working together and it would be great for this to be captured. So that was the idea and it took like a year and a half for for me to really start working on it. I think that the idea had already been in in my mind and I had told some of my friends and we were working and then uh, this past year, I went on tour with Tank and the Bangers, uh, a great New Orleans artist, and her tour manager, uh, Nate Nate Cameron. We talked, and he was inspired by the idea. And I was like, I need help because while I can do both things, I'm I'm still touring, and I'm still at the time. I mean, nobody's touring now, but like at at the time, I was still touring, and I was just like, yo, I need a little bit of help on the side of organization, like setting up sessions, etc. And uh, he's helped to to that degree and even more. And we wound up seeing the bigger picture as global warming being something that can help the most well-known artists to the up-and-coming artists have, you know, access to information that they may need within the business. And that may be, you know, 
how to set up your BMI, how to, you know, uh, sound exchange, where to look for your money, what a distro company does, what a uh, agency does, a uh, booking agency, what your manager should be doing for you or what you can look for in a manager, what you should be expecting from, you know, people that you work with and kind of helping on a conversationalist type of vibe at first and a lot of these conversations were happening in the sessions that we were having but snowballing that into even more of a, a call to action on having mentoring as well as zoom meetings specified for helping artists at whatever stage they are in their career you know if we have the access to that information i also work with a lawyer who's a business lawyer who's one of my long-term friends named juan who uh, is in the city doing things. And he's he's cool. He's got like chains, but he's like also amazing law student from Tulane. And you have, you have people that are on different sides of the industry coming to help on a local level. And it's good that we have this collective that we can kind of umbrella it under um, so that moving forward we can do great things as a city and and that's one thing that I'm big on is New Orleans and like the love that they've shown me and I felt like it was something to give back but also I'm getting something out of it and I'm getting to learn what you know what's on the minds of people that are up and coming and what what I maybe have missed or what I missed during my travels and understanding how you know music is being made in the city and how we're gonna move forward I think the the second half to this is also a part where there's going to be a community engagement on the the climate change issue and that's one thing that I'm super excited about as well so the the second half would be you know building sustainable uh, community gardens also connecting with organizations local organizations like a um like a 350.org or um you know those types of organizations that are in the community already doing good things to help combat climate change, doing a, a cleanup at Lincoln Beach, which was like, you know, a lot of black people used to go to Lincoln Beach and you see a lot of plastic on that beach um, just picking up and making community events a part of the rap lifestyle, the R&B lifestyle and the music lifestyle as a whole in New Orleans because they're both connected, you know what I mean? the environment and music are two things that impact New Orleans greatly. So that's, that's a, that's global warming in a, in a, a long elevator pitch. That's the longest elevator ride I've ever been on, but yeah, that's it. Honestly, that was brilliant. That was such a beautiful package of, of what this project is. And when you were telling me about it, even before it feels like such a perfect bridge from like a local city community to this, you know, broader music industry and providing people a path and the resources so that people can go build their own and then come back and give back to the community from which they are from. And I think that yeah. is so important. And I think that so much of what you do, I feel like the New Orleans essence from it. Even you did that live video of I think Patience. Is that the song name? Oh wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's as New Orleans as it gets. That's as as New Orleans as it gets though. That's yeah. second line culture right there, you know? And so I think it's just so brilliant that you're incorporating so much of that culture because it is such a vibrant, fun, I don't know, uninhibited city. Yeah. I'm glad you I, said that. I mean, I haven't spent nearly as much time there as I should, honestly. I definitely got the Bourbon Street experience, which, like, was a little <laughs> overwhelming. <laughs> I know that's, that's like going uh, to Times Square, you know? It is. It is. We, uh, next time you go, you know, you just got to call me in. We'll, we'll make that happen. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure I'm in town, actually. I'll, I'll make sure I'm in town. Yeah, give me the absolute full tour. <laughs> Facts. But this, gotcha. but the whole concept of global warming goes back to what we were talking about before. It's like, it all. I feel like it all ties into what did we think success was and what do we think su success is now? And it was, like you said, gold, platinum, diamonds. You know, it was all the things we could get potentially. Mm -hmm. And now I think at least for myself, and I don't want to speak for you, 
this idea of success is how can I build a solid foundation so that I can be sustainable so that I can be in a position to give back to the people mm. who are in my circles, who, who are in my sphere of influence and do that in a way that feels right. Yeah, no, that you hit the nail on the head. That's, that's really what it is. It's about being able to give back. I think it, uh, you know, it's all about being useful. You know, at, at a certain point, it's it's about the projects that you take on that are bigger than yourself. And I'm glad to be a part of one that also has a great emotional attachment to everything that I've done for the past, you know, we talk about 2014, really past decade since I've like touched music, you know, so. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's very, very fulfilling and I just can't wait for people to hear it. It's coming out soon, so. I can't wait for people to hear it. I can't wait for people to see uh, the imageries that we like we have going with it, and um, just like the the consistent community engagement that's going to come from it. Um, I'm happy to be very in tune with the community that raised me and is allowing me to you know come back and like be a voice of something great. So I love that. Wait, do you hold on one second? Do you hear a cat? Is my is, okay? I'm sorry. I thought I I have a, I have this cat that hangs outside the studio. He's like he's literally he, you know we feed him every once in a while, and I I heard him begging for food. That's after the well, yeah. I'll you're like him. I'll feed the cat after this. I'll feed him. Honestly, feed him. when I started this, I I was a minute late because right as I hit record, my neighbor started leaf blowing. <laughs> and I was That's just like, fuck, gotta move. No. Um, but at the sunset of this conversation, I want to ask you, what is one thing that you wish you had known when you started, when you were still in your bedroom alone making beats? Um, I would say how important it is to maintain relationships. I think uh, oftentimes us as artists and even when you know thinking about like me being in my bedroom and um doing things on very uh, insular level um when a lot of people start getting involved involved in like helping you along your career you know maintaining those relationships is so important because i think oftentimes you you're always going to be in your own head about things and you're always going to be focused on self and building your brand but um those people who lift you up are the reason why you know certain successes can happen for you and also um just make the journey way more fulfilling i think it's you know sometimes it's not about the destination but it's about the company that is with you along the way and i think that's something that i've learned because i'm still friends with everybody that you know i started with even if i don't work with them um but i think it's it's it allows me to do things like this global warming project. It allows me to come back and, and give back with people that, you know, I started with. And it also gives me a sense of the bigger picture. You want to make sure that you, you keep all these pieces of your journey as intact as possible because they all, you know, they all help, help your music and help uh, you, throughout the journey, you know, so. Yeah, you want to value the people who aided in your success. Definitely, definitely. I definitely have some regrets in that sense. We all do. We all do. Yeah, I wish I yeah. could tell my younger self that too. But again, I feel like everything is tying back perfectly. That goes to the ego and this myopic focus that mm -hmm. is a gift and a curse, right? It's a gift right. because it, it allows us to get things done. Uh, because we need that propulsion in order to maintain and build as independent artists. But it's also a bad thing because it gives you this laser focus and sometimes you have your blinders on and you don't see who's next to you and you don't necessarily give them the proper appreciation or thanks um, or even like a text, you know, these small things that we can do to kind of show people their value in your life. Right. I don't think you oftentimes fall out with people as an artist, I think you fall off with people. Like, I think it's just like we're, 
we're so focused like you said the myopic view of like project based like i need to do this then i need to do that um in order to keep the ball rolling in in your career and that comes with that negligence of that communication with multiple different people and it is something that i i still work on to this day final question we've arrived to the end um what piece of advice would you give to an artist who is just starting out? Goal numero uno is ownership. Um, own as much of your music, your brand, your you know your business as possible from the from the start, and know that you know anybody that you want to partner with or anybody that you want to be in business with you um, look look at it as, you know, a pie and just remember that, you know, for each person that you invite into that pie, you're, you're going to be missing a piece. So make sure that you retain enough for yourself in order to keep you and your family good and um, know your worth. So that's, yeah. I love that. I mean, that is my advice to literally everyone I come in contact with. <laughs> Facts. Ownership. Yeah, it's like it's a certain sacrifice you got to make for that ownership. But mm -hmm. when you're sitting in, in a position of like full independence and autonomy and you have freedom of choice, mm -hmm. every single sacrifice is worth it. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Coming from the newly re-independent person, I feel that completely. The autonomy is everything and also just, you know, the sense of fulfillment when you drop things or when you're working on projects, it's... It, it 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 makes it more fulfilling. You you will get more out of it because uh, you don't want to be in a situation where you, you get uh, burnt out on, and feel like you're working for others. You never want that to happen. Anatomy of an Artist is a podcast created, recorded, and edited by me, Verite. It was produced by Vanessa Magos with the help of Yesenia Bonilla. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.